and begin with the word of prayer. Lord God, thank you so much for this evening and thank you again, Lord, that you are a cornerstone. Thank you that you're there for us, Lord, and through the storm, you carry us, God, and I thank you that you have made us alive in you and brought us out of the darkness into the light. And so, God, as we come to you, we ask for your word to give us light in our hearts tonight. And so, God, speak to us. I ask for your Holy Spirit to anoint this time, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I came across something, um, what someone prayed, and this is what they wrote down. They said, Lord God, so far today, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm really glad about that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot more help. <laughs> Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I love that. Well, well the, at least the, with this person, well, at least on his heart was to wake up and take the time to pray the first thing. As we return to the book of Philippians and as we get into our study once again, the first thing we're going to see is that Apostle Paul does after his introduction is to share his heart for prayer. And he actually prays for the Philippians. And so here we get this little glimpse into his heart and how Paul prays for these people. So tonight we see Paul's practice in prayer. Paul's practice in prayer. We're going to be studying Philippians chapter 1 from verse 3 to 11 tonight. 3 to 11. And we're going to see four things here. And this is our outline with Paul's practice in prayer. Paul prays with this, number one, a heart of thanks. Number two, a heart of hope. Number three, a heart of love. And number four, a heart for growth. So we're going to see those four things in our passage today, how Paul prays. And hopefully this will be some things that we can put into practice in our prayer time. So let's begin. Paul's practice in prayer. Number one, a heart of thanks. We begin with that, a heart of thanks. And here we start with Philippians chapter one, and we're going to look at verse three to five, three to five. Take a look now. Verse three, it reads, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And we'll stop there. We begin here with Paul writing in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. So what Paul is saying is every time Paul would think about the Philippians, his heart was just full of thankfulness to the Lord. He was so grateful to the Lord for these people. See, we understand, right? I had mentioned last time that Paul had planted the church, Acts 16. The, you know, he went there and planted this church. And, and also he stopped there maybe a, another two times on different missionary journeys like he did in Acts 20. So these people in Philippi held a special place in his heart. So much so that every time he thought, thought of them, he was so grateful for them. And so much so that he says here that always in every prayer, he prayed for them continually all the time. And he prayed for them. When he prayed, he was filled with joy. Think about that. It was not a burden for him to pray for them. 
but it was his pleasure to lift them up in prayer. Interesting in the Greek, the phrase always in every prayer uh, is really in a present tense, they call it, which means Paul was not only praying like right now, but always and continually prayed. So we see Paul is saying, look, I never stop praying for you guys. That's what he's telling them. You guys are so special. Every time I think about you, I'm just so thankful to God and, and I just end up praying for you. And it, this joy in prayer also came from their partnership, he says here. That's a koinonia is the word there for partnership. And you remember what that means, right? Uh, being in common, being in unity, being together, being, being uh, in partnership, basically. It's a good translation. In partnership in the gospel from the very first day. So he's saying ever since the beginning, ever since the Philippians, they, they, they came to the Lord. Ever since that time, the Philippians stood by Paul, stayed with Paul, supported Paul, and they followed Paul. They were always there, right there with Paul. So in all that Paul did in spreading the gospel, they were in partnership too. And all that Paul did on his missionary's journeys, they were behind him and supporting him in prayer. And even we're going to see financially, they supported him. They were there for Paul in partnership as Paul spread the gospel. They did something about spreading the gospel too. So Paul lets the Philippians know how they are always in his prayers. And these prayers are grateful prayers filled with joy. Paul prayed with a heart of thanks. That's our heading. Now, remember, the book of Philippians is actually this letter, right? The epistle to the Philippians we talked about last time, written by the Apostle Paul, written to the church in the city of Philippi. And in the style of ancient letters, after the introduction that we started last week, usually comes this prayer and, and a word of gratitude and thanks. And so Paul here takes this opportunity to share his heart. And that's why I have the heart in, all, in our outline. He's sharing his heart and he's taking this opportunity in the style of ancient letters. He says, hey, let me share my heart with you. And he tells them how grateful to God he is for them and how he is in constant prayer for them with joy. Perhaps maybe Paul smiles as he thinks back on that first day. Remember when he came to the city of Philippi and Lydia opened her heart to Jesus by the riverside. She got baptized and invited them, uh, his team to come and stay in, in her house. Or when later the jailer, when when you know, Paul was in, in jail there and, and God opened the doors and Paul got to share Jesus. The jailer heard the gospel and then his whole house was baptized in the Lord. So you, could, you can imagine Paul thinking back on these times, uh, his trips there, the people there, and, and, and just the relationship he has with them. So every remembrance called, caused Paul to thank God and to pray with joy. And that brings us to the point here. Every remembrance sparked the joy that kept Paul praying for them. Think about that, yeah? Every remembrance sparked the joy that kept Paul praying for them. You would think about them, be grateful, you'd be filled with joy, and then he'd just pray for them because they were so special to him. Barton wrote in his commentary, Paul hinted that such memories can put new energy into prayer. And I like that thought. That's why in this point I say every remembrance sparked, yeah, the joy that kept Paul praying for them. It, it, 
thinking about them. He was so grateful, thanking God for them, that it put new energy into his prayer. I like that. I want to pattern my heart to practice my prayers, just like how Paul is doing here. I mean, what better thing can we do in our prayers than be thankful for the people God has brought into our lives, right? I mean, whenever you're reminded of someone, stop and be grateful and pray for them. You know, when a person maybe at the counter you're at reminds you of maybe a friend from times past, stop and pray for that friend and thank God for them. Maybe a child's going by on their skateboard or something and you think of your grandchild. Take a moment to stop and pray and thank the Lord. Or how about when you hear a song on the radio or, or maybe like you're in Foodland, they play a lot of old songs. So for me, it's like, oh yeah. And, and it's funny. Yeah, I start singing and, and Justin's like, Oh, man, I'm tired of those songs. Yeah, but this is not when I grew up. But isn't it funny when, when you hear those songs that all of a sudden a memory comes alive in your mind? I mean, full color and all the picture and everything. It's funny how, how these songs can be attached to a memory. And, and maybe it, it brings up thoughts of some relationship back then or an incident or someone you knew you hung out and the good times you had. You know, stop and pray for them when you're reminded of these things. When I was thinking about this, when you're out and about and you hear someone speaking a foreign language, like a lot of times I hear some people in the water that are Japanese and they start talking Japanese and, and I start listening in because I'm thinking, what are they saying? No, but, but you know, you start hearing some foreign language. You know what? It reminds me of our missionaries yeah, in Japan or in that country or people I know over there and it... I want to be like Paul, make a practice of stopping and interceding, right, for those people. So let those memories, let the remembrance spark and start that engine of prayer and be thankful to God for all that they meant to you. Let's practice what Paul did in prayer with a heart of thanks. Well, let's go on here to number two, a heart of hope, a heart of hope. Paul's practice in prayer, first thing we see, Paul prays with a heart of thanks. And now he moves on into a heart of hope. And we know this verse very well. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, as we come into this verse, here Paul adds that since he's met them from the beginning and since he's known them from the beginning, Paul is absolutely sure. And the word sure meaning is like absolutely certain. I'm sure of this. I know you guys. I am just certain of this. That God, who began a good work in you, will, I like that, will, carry it all the way to completion. So Paul's saying God will be faithful to finish the work of transformation that's been going on in their lives since they became believers. Since these Philippians came to the Lord, Paul preached them the gospel and the message of Jesus, and they got saved, they got baptized. And since that time, from the beginning, Paul said, hey, I know, I know for sure you guys are saved. I know for sure you guys believe. And I know God will finish that work of transformation in your life that he started way back then. What God began at salvation will be completely finished when? He writes here, the day of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about when Jesus returns, when believers stand face to face with Jesus, and then what's going to happen? 
we will receive our glorified bodies. And that whole work of God will be complete. We'll have bodies fit for heaven. The change that he's been doing inside of us, the molding our character, uh, growing us, all that's going to be completed. It's going to culminate. It's going to be right there when we receive our glorified bodies. So Paul also found joy in seeing them, uh, seeing God's ongoing work being done inside of them and knowing that they will make it. They will be completed. He's not worried, even being so far away. But Paul prayed with a heart of hope here. That was his hope. Paul prayed with a heart of hope, our heading. Remember Paul, when he's writing this letter, he's writing it while in prison. He's like 800 miles away from Philippi. Um, we're going to see there's some few problems going on in the church, some divisions between some people. Uh, some guys are becoming prideful, more selfish. Uh, those kind of things are starting to rise up. And the church is beginning to face persecution too, as all the Christians in that ancient world is at this time. So Paul, in writing this letter, though he's far away, he has a heart of hope, knowing that God started this work and he's going to complete it. Paul does not use words like, well, maybe God will complete his work. Or, I think so that God will complete his work. But no, he is sure. He's absolutely sure, absolutely certain in God's work in the lives of the Philippian believers. So God, uh, Paul holds to this sure hope. Remember when we talk about hope in the Bible, it's a, it's a sure hope. It's not like, while, while I... While, uh, I hope it'll happen, right? But when we see hope in the Bible, it's a hope that's saying it will happen. It is going to come to pass. And that's Paul's heart of hope. It's a hope knowing that God will be faithful to finish what he started, right? God started the work. It was not Paul. Yeah, he, he was the messenger. He was the tool. But God started this work in Philippi. Think about it this way. Paul knows this, and now I'm going to give you four things, and they should be on the screen. Screen. Paul knows that, number one, God's, uh, he knows God's work for us. And what I mean is, God's work for us began when Christ died on a cross in our place. He knows God's work for us began when Christ died on a cross in our place. That His work for us began right there on the cross. And then number two, God's work in us began when we first believed and accepted Jesus in our heart. So it all began, right, God's work for us when Christ died on the cross. And then God's work in us began when we first believed and accepted Jesus in our heart. Then the third thing is God's work of changing us is done by the Holy Spirit now who lives inside of us as as we have come to believe in Christ and accept Him in our hearts. That, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. The Holy Spirit transforms us. The Holy Spirit is working inside of us powerfully and changing us to become like Christ. And then the fourth thing is God's work of completing us. Paul knows this, that it's guar guaranteed. You know why? For nothing in this life, even death, cannot stop God's work of love. Romans 8, right? Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So, 
Paul knows God's work first began in, in the cross. God's work in us began when we believed in Christ. God's work of changing us is done by the Holy Spirit living in us. And God's work of completing us is guaranteed because God will finish his work. I like what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.10. So take a moment and turn there. Ephesians 2, verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10. After we, Paul writes about our salvation in verse 8 and 9 and how it's a, we're saved by grace through faith, right? Then he says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. We are, the Greek word is poema. We're his masterpiece, basically. We're his lyric. We're his, we're his, we're his statue he's forming, you know. We're his, we're, his clay, we're his clay masterpiece or painting he's making. That's the word for workmanship. And we're created in Christ Jesus. When we came to be saved and came through faith by grace, be saved by him, verse 10 then says, hey, now you're his workmanship. Now he's doing a work for you. And he's created you to, for unto good works, to live for God, to, to, to become everything God wants you to be. Or like in Romans 8, we are predestined in the image of Christ. And God pre prepared that beforehand. He had a plan way ahead. So this is what God is completing in us, and this is the hope that Paul has. Which brings us to the point here. When God starts a project, he completes it. So when God saves, he saves completely and eternally. Know that, you guys. Know that tonight. Let this truth and principle sit in your heart, come into your mind. Let it be a foundation to why you do what you do and why you keep going. Because when God starts a project, he completes it. So when God saves, he saves completely and eternally. Uh, the, uh, the other month or so, I don't remember when, but um, uh, Kristen and I were watching one of those home shows, you know, where they renovate places, and they came in. This, this couple had started a remodeling project. I mean, they took down the walls, they took down the kitchen, the floors, everything. It was just like this shell. But they never finished the project. <laughs> They had been like eating out for what, like three years or something like that. Three years. Can you imagine eating out? They weren't cooking. They weren't, not, none of that. They got into this project. They, had, they tore out the kitchen. There was no kitchen. And they've been eating out. And you know what? They just got discouraged and lost hope because they, 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 they got overwhelmed with everything. Well, thank God he's not like that, right? Unlike me. That maybe I have still some projects too. God, that, uh, that aren't finished. Unlike me, God finishes what he starts. Isn't that good to know? When God starts a project, he completes it. So when God saves, he saves completely and eternally. Hendrickson said, God is not like men. Men conduct experiments, but God carries out a plan. I like that thinking. Then he said, God never does anything by halves, or he never goes halfway and just stops, you know? Not God. He finishes everything. So here's the thing, you guys. Let us find comfort and a sure hope here. Let us have this hope, knowing God will execute his plan. God will carry it out all the way to completion. And so you know what that means? 
as we're reading this, as we're, we're, we're hearing and, and studying what Paul's written here for us to hear, and as we know the background, you know what that means? That means if, if you're far away, maybe from your child that's in college right now, God's going to keep doing the work, right? If maybe your, your, your spouse is serving overseas in a battle zone, what's going to happen? God, no worries, he'll be there. He'll complete his work. If your loved one is a, a missionary, maybe in a hostile <coughs> territory, no worries. God is going to be there. He'll complete the work. Or maybe your husband seems like they're backsliding from God. No worries. God will complete the work. We can put our hope in the certainty that God will finish what he started in the heart of believers. And even if that means, and if a if your child yeah, has maybe wandered from what he really believes in, or she, God will complete that work. And this is what Paul is, is saying. He's far away from the, the Philippians, but he knows, he knows, he knows no matter what happens to him, God's going to complete that work of salvation. And let me say one more thing. That hope we have is for you too. It's for you who feel like such a spiritual failure, for those who feel like they cannot make it through, or maybe, maybe I won't make it, maybe I'll fall away, it's too hard. My doubts are overcoming me. But know this, God will complete the work. God is doing the work right now, and He will complete it. Even if it doesn't look like it, even if it looks like such a mess, God will complete the work. He will. He's faithful to complete that. One mother wrote this wise observation. She said, we live in a small house, so even little messes seem big. Recently, I looked at my sewing projects and thought, if my child left this mess, I'd be mad. <laughs> then I realized I wasn't angry at myself because in my eyes, I could see the finished product. To me, it wasn't a mess at all. Isn't that good? Sometimes things seem like just a big mess, but God sees the finished product. And that's what Paul saw. His hope, he knew what God can do and what God will do. And in the same way, you and I, we can have hope too. So do you understand? We got to get into this practice of praying like Paul did, with hope, praying for God to continue to complete that work. All right, well, let's go on to number three now, a heart of love, a heart of love. In Paul's practice and prayer, we see how Paul prays with a heart of thanks, a heart of hope, and now we see he prays with a heart of love. Look at verse 7 now, Philippians 1. It says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And we'll stop there. Okay, Paul says that it is right for me to feel this way about you here in verse 7. In other words, I know you well enough to be certain that God is in you and working in you. I can say this. I know God is going to complete that work. I know you're saved. I know with that, I know God's going to do that transformation, complete everything. And he says, it's all because I know this. It's all because I hold you in my heart. Paul's love for them brought 
them close to him. And so they got close to Paul also. So they knew each other very well. It's interesting that commentators say in the Greek, it can also be translated here, because you hold me in your heart. It, it could be the other way around too. So the thought really here is that this love goes both ways. Now Paul feels close because whatever he, he went through, whatever he, he, he did, whatever he felt, they felt it too. They, they were right there with Paul, as I was saying earlier. They are partakers, he says, in the grace. As, the idea is by grace, they, they, Paul went through all that he went through, and by grace, they were there and stood by Paul too. Even by grace, Paul stood and went through the in this. he's going through this imprisonment. He, even when he testified in his defense, by grace, Paul got through that. And even in his confirmation of the gospel, in other words, to see the message of Jesus powerfully save people by grace, Paul made it through. And so Paul's saying, you guys are partakers of that grace through too. You know why? Because they were there with him and supported him in the sense that, that when he, being in prison, they're still with him. They're still, still thinking of him, supporting him, praying for him, uh, sending money. Even when he testified in his defense, they were there. They didn't abandon him. And they even, with all their efforts in supporting, they partook of their grace to see Jesus powerfully save many people around Paul. That's what he's saying. They supported Paul through thick and thin, which showed their love. And now Paul's saying, hey, I love you guys. I want you to know, as God is my witness, God knows my affection or how much I love you guys in Jesus. So Paul's closeness to the Philippians and their love for him is proved in their faithful support, really, for each other. So Paul prays here with a heart of love. You know, what inspires me is, is how much Paul had love for others. I mean, you, you see it here right now. You see it kind of oozing out of the, the, uh, the pages here of our Bible as we read it. He wasn't like, think about this, he wasn't like the false teachers who taught their Bible studies because they wanted an audience. He wasn't like the hireling who was only interested in getting paid. He wasn't like some soldier who was like, I'm just doing my duty, that's it. Not at all. Paul genuinely loved the people. Listen to his heart here. I'm going to read to you Colossians 2, verses 1 and 2, and this is in the NLT. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have, ne who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. This is Paul's heart. And no wonder the Philippians loved them back. And I've been thinking about this lately in some of my devotional readings. I've been reading uh, like this portion of Paul in this, after the introduction, when he starts to uh, uh, say how much he appreciates them, or when he starts to say a prayer, there's all this love coming out, and, and Paul, he really cared for these people. And so what we see here, Paul's prayers leaked with love more than anything else he said. Paul's prayer leaked with love more than anything else he said. And I hope you see this here. Warren Worsby said, it is possible to have others in our minds without really having them in our hearts. 
I like that. That made me think. We can have someone in our mind, but not in our hearts. We, we can pray for a person because they're in our mind, but is it really with the heart? You see, if, if you go back through, and this is what I've been thinking and kind of going through my own meditation, if you go back through his letters and these introductory parts and stuff, you know what you see? Paul's prayers leaked with that love. His concern for their spiritual being. His care for their relationship with God. His burden that they would know and experience Jesus in the greatest way. That was his care and concern and love for the people. That's Paul's heart. That is real agape here. And you know, I've been convicted lately by what I've been seeing here about what we, we see t tonight right here. Paul's prayers leak with love more than anything else he said and writ, wrote, right? I've been convicted lately on how much the focus of my prayers is on me, you know, about me, about my issues, about my needs, about my trials. It's uh, like a pity party, yeah, about, about all three people, me, myself, and I. I've been convicted about that. And I've been looking at Paul. And, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing, it's okay, you know, about praying for yourself and your needs. But we also need to be caring and concerned for others and their needs. And if you look at Paul, that, that was his burden, that was his passion, that was, that was what, what he, he carried that the church, the people in the church would grow in Christ and find Jesus more than anything else in the world. That is love. Sometimes we pray with a heart that is really against others more than for others. We need to pray fervently, not just for uh, our good, but for their good also. So I hope you see this. I hope you see what Paul is doing here and, and what's being woven into this 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 introduction or communication he's doing in this next part. But let us practice as Paul did and pray with a heart of love. Well, let's go to our last heading number four, a heart for growth. Paul's practice in prayer, Paul prayed with a heart of thanks, a heart of hope, a heart of love, and now a heart for growth. And this is the rest of our passage here, Philippians chapter one, verse nine. He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So here really Paul breaks out into this prayer for the Philippians. And I want to show you five things here, five things that he prays for in the life of these uh, Philippians, of these people in the Philippian church. Pa Paul really, all of this, prays for a heart of growth. And, and this is what it's all in, encompassing, that they would grow in the Lord, a heart of growth. And that's his heart that they would grow. Well, there's five things that he prays for. Number one is a love beyond your limits. Number two, that they uh, lines up with what's right. Number three is live, that they would live on the highest level. Number four, that they look to bear godly fruit. And number five, that they would long to glorify God. So let's take a, take a look at this first thing. Paul prays for, number one, that they would love beyond 
your limits. They, that you would love beyond your limits. Verse 9, back to verse 9, it says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And we'll stop there. Paul prays that their love may abound. The NLT puts it that your love may overflow more and more. I like that. That's the idea. Abound means overflowing love, overflowing our boundaries, overflowing any limits that you may put upon your love. God wants our love to, to grow larger, more and more, overflowing, not shrink, but go over those limits. Yeah, I think about how, think about this, how love drives people to do extraordinary things, right? Think about what people do for love. Young men actually will comb their hair, shave, and wear cologne for love. Young women will go against their parents to, to, to be with someone they love. Or couples will spend big dollars, right, for a wedding ceremony that only lasts for a few hours. <laughs> Moms and dad will make great sacrifices, right, in time, in food, in money, with their sleep, right, for the baby they love. I, I came across this. Did you know the average cost of raising a child today now, from birth to 17 years of age, is $233,610. That's $233,000. That's how much you cost, Jared. No. But, <laughs> no. but what, what do we, you know, what do we do for loving others, right? So how about loving God and, and loving others beyond the limits? So that's what Paul is praying, that they would love to love beyond your limits. Number two, that they, their life will line up with what's right that it would line up with what's right. Look at the second part of verse 9. With knowledge and all discernment. So Paul adds this now. In other words, love is not blind. It doesn't operate based just on emotions, right? It's balanced by, by truth and principle. Knowledge here describes truth as, like in the Bible. It, love is regulated by that. In other words, love is not just going by the feelings, right? Or it doesn't just go by a uh, personal opinion. No, the truth of the word guides this love. And it also, Paul says, this love has discernment. It, that speaks of like moral sight or perception. This love applies the principles of the truth of what's right and wrong and lives it out. One commentator explained it this way, as each believer learned more and more about God and his ways, the entire congregation would experience a stronger fellowship and love for one another. So with the truth and the word and what God has done, what God wants us to do, and how love flows from God through us, then you can love more and more. That's that truth. And, and it, it's not just a going by your feelings. No, it's going by the truth. It's like what 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says, Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Right? The most loving thing to do is to approach things by lining up with what's right. Yeah? And sometimes the most uh, loving thing you could do is say no. Right? Or say, discipline your child. Right? 
It's all based on, on the truth. So love is regulated by that truth, and it lines up with what's right. Well, number three now, Paul prays that they would live on the highest level. He prayed that, that, they, um, that you would love beyond your limits and that it would all lines up with what's right. But number three is that they would live on the highest level. Look at verse 10 now. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So the word approve here means actually to distinguish. Paul's prayer is that the believers may be able to discern correctly what is excellent or what is best for their lives. That they would, they would be, be able to understand and see it all. That they would be able to look and say, well, no, this is what I need to do. The idea is that, that they would be able to establish the right priorities in their life. That, that's the idea here. And with that, Paul prays that they will then grow to be more pure and blameless when they stand before God in that day of Christ, when Jesus comes. So the idea is that here, the idea here is that they would have um, been living a sincere and genuine life with integrity so that when they face Christ, that there would be no shame, you know, upon them. What's interesting here is the original word for pure here, which actually means sincere, uh, it meant, they would use the original word here, uh, by, it meant like tested by sunlight. That, that's what sincere meant, tested by sunlight. See, back then a dishonest potter, pottery dealer would fill the cracks in a pot uh, with wax, right? That the, the pot they were selling, they'd seal it with wax before painting it and glazing it. And you couldn't tell if it was defective unless you hold it up to the sunlight and, and then you could see the light coming through those cracks, even though it looked all fine without it. But when you held it up to sunlight, you could see the light coming through and you can tell, hey, this is defective. So honest sellers would market their products and say, sincere, these are sincere or sun-tested. So Paul is saying, hey, that's what we need to do is live on this highest level of sincerity, genuineness, and integrity. All right, number four now, he says, look to bear godly fruit. fruit. Paul prays that they would look to bear godly fruit. Verse 11, the first part says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So here, next is a prayer to be filled with this fruit that their lives would be filled with bearing the spiritual fruit of right living before God. And it really speaks about the character of the believer, that this kind of life, this kind of character, can only come through by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's through Him. Hebrews 6.1 says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. And that's really the idea, that they would mature and grow in the Lord, in their walk with God, and in godliness. The last thing here, number five, is that he prays that they would long to glorify God. To love beyond your limits, lines up with what's right, live on the highest level, look to bear godly fruit. And number five, long to glorify God. Last part here of verse 11, and last part, uh, last verse here, to the glory and praise of God. So this is the aim, that in all that the Philippians are and 
everything that they do, that it would be all to the glory and praise of God. So the ultimate thing that Paul prays for is that God would be glorified. So I loved how he caps this prayer with this, all in all, God, may you be glorified, and may they seek that too. You know, sometimes um, I'll ask one of the guys to um, step up and maybe share something in church or, you know, Wednesday or something, or maybe do an announcement or lead, lead the offering prayer. And sometimes when I first ask them, they say, uh, I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't like being up front, you know. I like serving the Lord. I like being behind the scenes and serving the Lord. And you know, when someone says that, I immediately think, Lord, this is the one. That's so good. He's, he's perfect to make a leader. <laughs> he's perfect. Because there's too many people who want to be in the limelight and take the glory. Well, Paul's prayer is that all believers are more like this, that, oh, no, I, I, I want to behind, be behind the scenes. I'd rather be behind the scenes so that God can get all the glory. And that's what Paul prays for. So you see, Paul prays for his love beyond your limits, that it lines up with what's right, to live on the highest level, to look to bear godly fruit, and long to glorify God. What great prayer points this is. Think about that, yeah? Isn't that awesome? I mean, I, I hope you wrote this down because we're going to be praying this in a moment. But we can use this to pray for others. Let's be like Paul and pray with a heart for growth. Well, I like, as we come to a close here, I like what this nurse did to help her pray for others. And it's just another way to see things. But William Barclay, he told of a nurse who once taught a man to pray and in doing so, it changed his whole life. And Barclay said, the sad, disgruntled, and dispirited creature became a man of joy when he learned this. And so she taught this man this prayer. She used her hands as a scheme of prayer. Each finger stood for someone. Her thumb was nearest to her, and it reminded her to pray for those who were closest to her. Her first finger was used for pointing, so it stood for all the teachers in school and in the hospital. The second finger was the tallest, and so, it's, so it represented all um, for the VIPs, the leaders, and every sphere of life. Her third finger was the weakest, as every pianist knows, Barclay says, and it stood for those who are in trouble and in pain. And her little finger was the smallest and the least important, and to the nurse, it stood for herself. I love that. So just with her hand, she would use that as a pattern for prayer. And this was her practice in prayer. Do you have one? I think we need one. I think we need to learn that, whether it's your hand or maybe what we learn tonight. Maybe we could adopt what Paul prayed here, what Paul put out here. And we're going to do that tonight. We're going to close our evening. With, we're going to do a little worship, but then we're going to move into a, a time of prayer. And we're going to close in actually praying the same thing, Paul's practice in prayer. Let's pray right now. Lord God, thank you so much for your word tonight, God, and just example and 
this pattern of prayer, the, the prayer points that he had God and what he practiced and what he was sharing with the Philippians of what, how he prayed for them and what he prayed for them and he did even pray for them. God, may we learn from this. May we not just wander in our prayers, but perhaps even open up Philippians 1 and, and pray what's in verses 3 to 11 for others. That we, we, after our time of praying for ourselves, that we would actually take some time, Lord, to pray for others and to pray this pattern for their well-being and for, for their spiritual growth and pray with a heart of love and with thanks and, and just really coming in and just, just covering them with the hope we have in you, God. So, Lord, change us tonight in how we approach prayer and how we practice our prayers. Let what we have learned tonight forever be burned into our minds and hearts that we learn something new and we learn something that we can practically do right away, tomorrow morning, when we remember others and intercede and pray for others. So I, I ask that, Lord, for myself and for everyone here, God, that, that we would certainly apply these things. In Jesus' name, amen.